What Divines Us. You made it! (laughs) I'm Rabbi Abram Goodstein. I'm Reverend Matthew Schultz. And it's Rye, the fifth uh, thing for Passover is right. Remember how last oh, episode yeah. there was five grains. I could not remember the four, the fifth grain. Uh-huh. And as a big rabbi fail. Yeah, it was right. I okay. forgot about right. Lots of people told me. I appreciate everyone's help in this one. What I missed, but yes, of the five grains, it's right. Now I have to admit my ignorance. When you started off, I was just saying it's right. I thought maybe this was some sort of custom holiday, like we're in the season of <laughs> rye, spelled R A I or something. Yeah, yes, we're in the Jewish season of rye. I would have been like, well, okay, um, good. Well, <laughs> Uh, no, I just wanted to put that top of the, while, while it's fresh in my head, I want to yeah. remember, I want to put that top of the podcast. Well, then I'll throw this in too. I don't know if we talked about this. It's also still Easter. It's still Easter. Easter is a season. Oh. It's not just a day. Well, I thought yeah. it was a day. Yeah. Well, you know, we make it a day cause that's more convenient for sure calendars is. and school holidays and whatnot. But, um, but yeah, Easter is a season and it goes, uh, 50 days up to Pentecost cause the word Pentecost means 50th day. And that, that's when the Easter season comes to a close. Pentecost means? 50th. I think it just means 50th, actually. Uh, uh-huh. It might mean 50th day. I'll have to look that up again. Okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> All right. Well, that kind of clears up some things from last episode. Right off the bat, we're on a tangent. I like <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, for this episode, we wanted to kind of bring it back around. We talked a little bit about the Supreme Court pick last episode and this question that the Republican Party had asked. Uh, Jackson... Uh, and then other things. Oh, no. <laughs> Hold on. Supreme Court Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson. I forget every name. So delete everything. About, delete everything that makes me sound bad. I, yeah. I got this covered. Well, no, honestly, in, in our line of work, forgetting names and faces is such a liability, right? But I do all the time. I mean, mm-hmm. so John Smith comes up to me, and for the life of me, I can't remember his name, and I'll see people and say, nice to meet you, and they're like, dude, You've met me a hundred times. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I feel terrible about it. It's not a judgment. It's just uh, partly ADHD, partly getting older, but mostly it's just always been this way. I just can't remember names and faces. I think it's a skill. I think like anything else in this, in, in life, you can work on it. You can get better at it. Yeah, but, but kind of like high jump, you know, you can improve to a percentage and you can <laughs> you can be better or worse within your ability but I'm never going to jump 10 feet high no matter how hard I try right and I'm not going to be one of those people that just remembers people's names all the time I can get a little better so I always try to remember a name and an a detail right? yeah those two things not the whole name mm-hmm. not every detail so if if I haven't seen that person in a while and I see them again I can say their one name and I can say oh and, and remind me of this one detail that you told me about earlier, you know, nice. Um, and that that tends to yeah, that's a great skill if you can do it. <laughs> is it well, it, it, you know, because it, it really if they if they said what's my whole name, I'd be like I got no idea, right? Yeah. But then they don't say that because I, I I remember the detail about them as mm-hmm. well, which is helpful, right? You know, it's good to it's good to catalog that. But I think it's a skill. Like I I always mm-hmm. work on it. I'm always trying to remember names, just like you, Matt. I've I've forgotten names. I've forgotten names and really. Um, like inappropriate moments oh, that got me in trouble. Yeah, and we'll yeah. talk about funerals I've, later. I've, but I've had times where, in a funeral, I have to check my notes yeah. so that I get the name right of the person I am eulogizing. Yeah, and it's not 
disrespectful. It's just you get distracted when you're up in front of 100 people yeah, talking. Yeah, and it's like, and, uh, you know, then, yes, yes, yeah. yes. I'll have my own stories to tell too when we get yeah. there. But let's go back. Uh, so another tangent. Yeah, back yeah, to what so, you're saying. So the the 25th or 24th question the Republican Party wanted to ask about was about prayers on the football field. Right. And you and I were flummoxed by that. Like I am flummoxed and vexed. Yes, yes. We didn't understand why that was in there. We didn't. We, it felt too specific of a question. Yeah. And we've come to discover uh, why it was in there. And it was because it's, it's going to be um, argued in front of the Supreme Court in the near future. Yeah. There is a case where— Well, we kind of knew that was, you know, out there in the pipeline coming down. I guess my my flummoxedness was more <laughs> like, really, you're going to latch on to this one. You know, just because it's a wedge, just because it fires up the base, but I don't think it holds real value for public discourse, in my opinion. But I'm cranky. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we know you're cranky. Uh, but but so what the what the uh, Republicans were alluding to was uh, this coach named Joseph Kennedy, uh, who got fired uh, from uh, Washington State High School, uh, where he was offering prayer at the 50 yard line uh, for every game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the his, so this is so this is the problem, right? So he got fired, and so he is suing the school for it, and now that is making it up to the Supreme Court mm-hmm. whether he can do that or not. Right, and that is sort of the the question is whether this is how okay was this? Now the way that he says it is he was just doing it himself. He was offering a small prayer to himself, uh, and uh, and it became bigger. Like some of the students slash athletes wanted to join in, so he let them join in, and then it became like a whole thing. Right. He also mentioned that uh, he would do it in the locker room as well, offer a prayer, but he didn't. He doesn't. He's not defending that. as something he wants to continue to do, but mm, that okay. wasn't an action he was making. And so you and I have a problem with this, right, Matt? Oh, I got a lot of problems, <laughs> baby. <laughs> so let me before Matt like dives deep into his problems. There, there, there are some that sounds things, like therapy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There are some things that I, I think are okay in this case. Yeah, I yes. think Matt's gonna disagree with me on, but we'll see. Like I think. I think offering a small prayer to oneself is never a bad thing. Sure. Right? The So the fact that he – the way that he started sounds innocuous, right? That he was just, you know, God, please let us win this, win this game. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> but, Maybe. But go on. Go on. Maybe. And so it is possible <sighs> that this high school overreacted when they, when they, when they heard this was happening. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the case that he's making to the Supreme Court. And I – do kind of get that, that, like, it's his First Amendment right to you know, say what he wants to say to himself about about this game, whether it's to God or whether it's not even that, whether a moment of reflection. Yeah. I, I feel like that is his right. Uh, but as we're going to go in in a moment, it, the real question is, is this coercion? Is he coercing players who don't want to pray into praying because they feel like they have to due to the group mentality of it. Right. That's the big that's the big question. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And uh, but from the from the get go, I feel like if it's this limited thing, if it's just a guy a coach, <clears throat> a guy who 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 has faith, mm-hmm. who's just praying to himself, that I'm actually okay with. Well I think that's the heart of it. And I am too, but when we say on one hand it's just a guy by himself praying. Yeah. That is a very different picture than the school-appointed leader of a team walking out into the middle of the big, giant football Wait, stadium. Is that where the 50-yard line is? Is it in the middle? 
Yeah. Wow. Okay. Cool. So you got to figure each football field is approximately one football field in size, right? <laughs> Wait. What? And then about half a football field up the football field is the halfway point. So what of the you're telling field. me is a football field is 100 yards? Oh, I don't know. I have to convert that into metric. <laughs> Yeah, so he goes out into the middle of this field in front of both teams, in front of both stands uh-huh. of people, and kneels down. Oh. That's not a guy having a private prayer. That's a person making a show. Uh-huh. And it's not just a person making a show. It is the school appointee on the government salary. An, author- an, an authority figure. An authority figure yeah. with, in many places all across the country, the football coach is elevated. Not just the regular whoever guy working in whatever place. The football coach is chosen as a community leader. Whether that's appropriate or not, you can uh, you know figure that out on your own. But it is, yeah, you know, very much so. Someone who's considered a role model and so a an leader. American, it's and an a American teacher. trope. Absolutely. Yeah. There, yeah. How many TV shows and movies could we name right now about the football coach who makes the big inspiring speeches? Oh, I love those speeches. They're so good. Some of them are great. And yeah. I, and even though it's not football, it's it's European football, I'm still on a huge Ted Lasso kick, right? Yeah. And so yeah. there is there is this strange, it's almost like a community clergy person, yeah. the football coach. So, again, it's not just a guy and it's not private. It is a state-appointed leader making a public proclamation of faith and leading a lot of other students into it. And again, he claims he didn't, and he may be 100% honest about that. But a couple of things you got to understand. One is the implicit pressure that's present amongst a team to do what the rest of the team is doing. And if you don't, you're either considered a bad teammate or a weird, different person. That's coercion. That's, That's coercion, a, and it's not maybe intentional. Maybe not explicit, but implicit. Right. And let's give the guy the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he didn't intend or want that to happen, but that doesn't matter. You yeah. can do a lot of things by accident that are wrong, right? And so he is, perhaps by accident, creating an atmosphere that implies and promotes a state-sponsored religion. We're going to go out and pray this particular way, and if you're a Jewish person— and we are, you know, implicitly saying, you know, in Jesus' name, amen, that's problematic. Or if you're an atheist and you see other people taking a knee to a deity, that's problematic because I just want to play football. I don't want to have to be called weird because I didn't join in the group activity. I don't want to be benched maybe because I don't quite fit in with the rest of the squad. That's not fair. So so that's one thing to, to bear in mind. Another really important thing to bear in mind is, Within certain cultures of evangelical Christianity, and I don't know this coach's religious background, so I don't know if he's within one of these, um, but within a lot of them, there is a stated goal of attracting the crowd, particularly the popular crowd, particularly the visible crowd, because the more people you get, the more people they invite in, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It's an ideology of growth. And that is a stated goal on purpose. We got to get bigger, bigger, bigger. This is where megachurches come from, right? Right. And so when he says something like, hey, you know, I just did my thing and it grew and it grew and it grew and it wasn't my doing. It was God's doing. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly what the underlying theological structure causes him to believe. And it may be his goal. I, I, I will not judge him. I don't know if it was his goal, but it's definitely in in keeping, and it's very much uh, fits in perfectly with a lot of evangelical intentional strategies. 
You think of groups like Young Life or groups like the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. These are all things that are out there, parachurch ministries, with this ideology of growth through the popular kids at schools. When you say parachurch ministries, it's the first time I'm hearing that term. Golly, I just dropped some jargon and didn't even realize it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, I think it kind of explains itself. It's these ministries that work alongside churches. They're not under the auspices of any particular church, but in their... Theoretically, what they seek to do is support churches by helping to gather people in and connect them to other churches. In practice, what they actually become is just a church unto themselves. And so a lot of times a church will lose their own high school kids because there's another parachurch ministry doing things down the road that are just more fun and more teen-based. In my opinion, you lose a lot of stuff by doing that, but that's a topic for another day. You know, sure. But that parachurch ministry essentially means that someone might look at the churches in general and say, you know, you're missing a lot of people, so we're going to start our own organization to try to serve those people. Okay, so I guess but the, but the biggest problem here is that if the Supreme Court justice agrees with this coach, it sort of mm-hmm. unlocks this capacity for any coach to right. offer any prayer at a football field. And yeah. that's very problematic. Well, you know, it, it is for many. Like, how do you think the ultra-conservative right-wing Christians will feel when the Satanist group decides to offer a prayer on the 50-yard I, line? You're, I mean, yeah. I mean, I thought that too. But I feel like, are they thinking about that? Like, I no. feel like there's, there's, there's a huge contingent of people, I, I would say mostly in the conservative sort of rubric of demographics, that really want to open up prayer, right? As like a as a legal right in more public locations, and but are they understanding the blowback of that potential? I don't know. I don't know if they're not understanding it or if they're just okay with battle lines being drawn. If they perhaps see value in differentiating between populations, because I, I feel like the same sectors of society that would be in favor of this football prayer would also say to a Muslim woman, you don't wear your headdress while you're addressing this, you know, or what have you. Some of these other religious garb arguments that went out there, I feel like these same um, advocates are on the opposite side of religious expression at that point. Yeah. So I don't I don't feel like the actual goal is religious freedom. I think the actual goal is... Christian freedom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they would never say that overtly because I think they could... They can hear how that sounds, right? Yeah. But I, I don't ever see these same advocates standing up and saying, what about Muslims? How can we protect them? Sure. What yeah, about Jewish people? Rights. How can we help our their Jewish friends? Religious rights. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. I just don't see it. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe my news algorithm is only showing me <laughs> things uh, that, you know, that, that get me caught in a rabbit hole, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating problem. But we had this interesting problem a few years back in the Kenai where there this, the council there the, um, had an opening benediction by, that ended with a Hail Satan. Do you remember that? Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah I forgot about that. Yeah. And then, and then, so they created a rule saying that like you can only give sort of a benediction or a prayer to this council mm-hmm. if you had a physical uh, place of worship in the Kenai. And so that was bad. Which is crazy in other ways, too, because that also limits Christianity, which at its very core, the very beginning, was house churches. Yeah, you just met yeah, in whoever's, yeah. in whoever's kitchen. And, you there's know. no synagogue in the Kenai, which meant that Jews also wouldn't be able to offer— Is that still uh, the way it goes, then? Did that Well, say? they sued. They got sued. Yeah. Um, uh, by, I think the ACLU picked it up. Um, yeah. And, 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 
Ironically, I don't know how that uh, how that concluded. I guess we'll have to, I don't either. We'll have to research it and bring. It I remember the reading podcast. at the time, and honestly, I just felt really sorry for the city council there because I feel yeah. like they didn't intend for any of this hullabaloo. <laughs> they were just kind of trying to have a nice moment at the beginning. And then Hell came <laughs> and out. Then, and then one thing, and then they're like, "Oh, let's fix it by doing this." Oh no, we made it worse. Yeah. It was almost slapsticky and. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we'll have to come. I'll have to do some research in the next episode. We'll have yeah. all, all the. We'll do a follow-up we'll follow on that one. But I remember getting kind of pulled in because of the fact that anyone who's Jewish wouldn't be able to offer yeah. a, a prayer for the city council because they didn't. there was no physical synagogue in the Kenai. So it was a pretty interesting case. We're going to check in, and they're going to say, we're just all Hindu now. <laughs> we decided let's make <laughs> so it clean. Easier. We're all, yep. Yeah. Yeah, but then, but then so we also, I mean, just in, in this keeping this idea of religious coercion. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we, we saw another headline a little while back that we wanted to bring up to the in the podcast as well. I'm going to try to find it. I tried to read the article, but there was a paywall, and that's the limit. <laughs> yeah, paywall. The limit of my knowledge. <laughs> yeah, in this article, I, it, it's a, a Houston area student with wins a $90,000 settlement after being bullied wow. by a teacher for not standing for the Pledge of Allegiance. For not even standing. So it wasn't that he was forced to say it even. He just was forced chose to, to stand. Not, chose not to stand. Right. The Pledge of Allegiance. That is interesting. Yeah. And, yeah. and he was defended by uh, this group called the American Atheists. Uh, uh-huh. And they mm-hmm. essentially, American Atheists were able to help win this case for this uh, for this young student. And this is a senior also. You know, it brings to mind, because being a senior is such a weird year, because you're being <laughs> sort of told you're an adult, yeah. but you also have to raise your hand and ask permission to go to the bathroom. Sure. So which is it? Am I an yeah, adult? Am yeah. I not? And you're like... Uh, there's a lot of weird lines to walk there. So they don't trust this kid to say, no, I don't choose to say the pledge. They're going to force him to do that. That's an odd flex on on the school board's part. Yeah. And it just goes back to like, we, we don't, you and I don't believe in religious coercion. Right. It's like the worst thing you can do. Mm -hmm. Uh, You you use, it's so harmful to the person who you're trying to coerce, first of all. Yeah. And harmful to religion. Right. Because, because a believer a person who is forced to be a believer won't actually believe, right? I mean, that's that's like a Pavlovian conditioning. That's not a catechesis of actual heart faith. Yeah, yeah. So that's that that never works. And I th- I would I would say that's the same for this here, which is not religious coercion, but like civil religion. You know, the the patriotism that's that's being imbued there is is imbued. Is that the right word? Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. Is 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 not going to stand the test if if it's just forced upon the kid. That's kind of crazy. You know, it, it calls to mind how right now there's in Florida what people are calling the "Don't Say Gay" law. Yeah, and there's a whole bunch of these things along with book bannings and curriculum changes, and one of the buzzwords and all that is indoctrination. Right? Yeah, we don't want to acknowledge that gay people exist because we don't want to indoctrinate the kids. But what could be more indoctrination than saying you must stand and pledge your allegiance to this flag? Sure. That's pretty indoctriny. It is. It is. <laughs> you know what's funny is uh, in, in response to "Don't say gay," I wore like this pin that says "Say gay." Okay. Um, and it backfired a bit. Everyone thought that I was gay. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm an ally. I'm just trying to support you know yeah. this and uh, but uh, but yeah, <laughs> I thought that was a funny moment. That is kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it's a hard line to, to figure out. How do you, because there are certain values we want to pass on to students, even in the public schools. We want to say, be honest, you know, go vote. It's certain things that we all agree our students should be taught. But we get into these edges and we have to allow for this this freedom of thought to, yeah, that's, that is a tough one. 
Uh, yeah, and like you know, uh, the word indoctrination, you know, sounds bad. Uh, yeah. and, and in many ways is bad. Uh-huh. Uh, but I would argue that there are forms of it that are, you know, not so terrible. Um, you know, one of the things I would say is that Judaism has a lot of ritual. Yeah. And, and yeah. We, we teach those rituals to our kids. Is that indoctrination? Mm-hmm. You could argue that it is. Right, right. But I think it's valuable. I think it's a valuable lessons so that when our kids become adults, they can go to a synagogue anywhere in the lower 48. Yeah. And they could feel comfortable there because they know the rituals. Well, and at the heart of the word indoctrinate is doctrine. And, of yeah. course, part yeah. of our job, yeah. you and me, <laughs> yeah. is we do pass yeah. on this doctrine to the next generations. A difference being it's voluntary. You know, the kids are at school because they're required to go to school and the state says, here's things to learn. So if they were to slip in a little bit of Jesus into that, that would be really weird. Yeah. Right. Now you're putting church doctrine into the state, the curriculum. And that's right. When I put Jesus into my church curricula, that makes total sense. sense. You know, that's where it belongs. So (laughs) keep keep it right in there, man. And that's fine. Um, and, And so that level of indoctrinating, I feel when it's when it's not coercion. Is is yeah, that's peachy keen by me for sure. Sure, I, yeah. I would I, just, I would never use the word indo- peachy keen. Well, peachy keen. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever used that one before. Maybe I would that one. Well, but, I uh, hat tip to my wife Elizabeth and a wonderful member of our church uh, named named Tessie who. Uh, we, we put a new exterior on our building, and in certain types of day daylight, it looks a peach color. Ah. And so they've started calling us Peachy Keen Presbyterian Church. Ah, that's hilarious. <laughs> so, so that's on the tip of my tongue these days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, but I just, I wouldn't refer to what we do as indoctrinating, right? The huh. word is just not, it, it just, it has like a bad, it feels like it does. It, it diminishes yeah. what, what we're actually, it's got a connotation to, to it. Yeah. yeah. So we yeah. use the word catechism. Right. I don't know if that's, just a Christianese word, or is that... We use the, the term argue a lot, I feel like, in <laughs> Judaism. Okay. Uh, Christian education has become a real uh, threat of our church. Spiritual yeah. formation is what they tend Ooh, to call it nowadays. I'd like formation, that a lot. I like it. You know, the jargon will change from time yeah, to time, but essentially yeah. it's passing the faith on to the next generations and newcomers. Yeah. You know, so, But yeah, it, it becomes weird when you're like, all right, we're going to do values in school. Ooh, I like the idea. But when it comes down to which values, uh, you're gonna have a lot of fights on your hand. Well, and what I like about you know religious school for me, me I, I feel like I get to I get to go uh, uh, for values that schools don't always provide. My favorite one being mindfulness, for example. Right, right. And, uh, a lot of schools don't provide that value, uh-huh. and I was like, what? What? That's such a miss. Like, so I'm gonna right. do it because it's so not we, religious. Yeah, really. it's, yeah, yeah. So we're very mindful at my religious school. We have, we have a moment of mindfulness. We think mm-hmm. about you know our how we feel about things internally. You know what I mean? Um, right. And so I feel like religious school offers an awesome opportunity to sort of think about values that public school doesn't offer that are not even necessarily religious. Right. You know, just yep. makes people people be better people. It's sort of like one of my goals. You know? Right. Yeah. 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 Um, that's what Judaism offers, I believe. It helps you become a better person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and so I want to help contribute to that to my kids in religious school as well. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. But again, if I were to go back to school, I also. My whole junior and senior year, I didn't say the pledge, and none of my teachers cared. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So I think this is one of those examples of a, an outlier event for sure. But the teacher in, in the news article is Christian, and the under God thing was what is, is what oh. is why the American atheist came in. Got you see, I should have read the homework. I wouldn't know. <laughs> you gotta read the homework, Matt. <laughs> I, there was a paywall. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
ninety thousand dollars though, I don't know. It might be worth uh, a couple of teachers yelling at me to get a ninety grand payoff. <laughs> I just think it's funny that like we're heavily aligned with American atheists. Two clergy here are like, you go American atheist. That, that's man, right I'll tell you, that happens so frequently to me. And there's also in Florida recently, uh, along with book bannings, yeah, the book which bannings. is a, a funky term. I don't even like that term because I don't think they're necessarily banning books. They're just saying we're not going to put this in this curriculum at this age. So I think I think the conservative standpoint on that is a lot more reasonable than the liberal responses have painted them they're, to be. They're delaying when the student experiences the book. Right. Yeah. And that makes yeah. sense. And and there are a thousand good books you could give a high school senior. And you have to choose ten in yeah. the course of the year, right? Or yeah. however many. And so a lot of ones are going to get left out, and they might say, we're going to leave this one out because it might be a bit advanced or it might be on the edge of what we consider acceptable. I'm actually pretty fine with that. Now, if they were to say, you're not allowed to ever read this, we're going to burn it in the public square, now you've got a problem. Anyway. This yeah. is where I disagree with you. Okay. Because I feel like there young people are uh-huh. forming an identity. Yes. And some of those young people are members of the LGBTQ community, and they right. don't even realize it yet. Oh, They don't even know. Right. So let and, me clarify. And so it, when yeah. they experience a book right. that helps them understand, that's me, uh-huh. that's, an, that's, an, that's an, an incredible like way for them to form their identity. And I agree with you. Yeah, so, so I may have painted with too broad a brush there. I guess what I would want to see is the process behind why they left these books out. Okay. And if the they whole, say, you want to see the work. Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Show the work. Don't, if they, don't if give they me were the to answer, say, show me the work. Yeah. If they were to say, we left this out because it says that being gay is equal to being heterosexual, I would argue against them. Like that's not a reason to leave it out. If they said we left this book out because it, it contains a gruesome depiction of a murder. Yeah. I'd say okay. That that's an age appropriate thing that maybe you wait till they're older. You know, don't show. Let's think of some movies like Saving Private Ryan. Okay, has some really brutal scenes. Don't show that in elementary school, and I'm on board with you. <laughs> show it to your high school seniors. Yeah, I think you should. And so it's a question of where along the line that comes. Yeah, um, because there's so much value in it as well. And you could probably pick a thousand books that are like that, right? Just pick oh, the pick so the much. age where it's appropriate to put in there. But again, with being aligned with atheists, the local school board. I don't know where, but somewhere in Florida, um, they banned a couple of books for sexual stuff and violence stuff. And so this atheist came forward and said, okay, please also ban the Bible because yeah. it also contains, it contains weird sex and of, weird violence. weird stuff in there. Yeah. And so, yeah. and I agree with this guy. Like, yeah, if too. that's your rubric, if you're going to say this is what we make our decision based on, the Bible fits and it's out. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, but though that being said, like, I remember I read the book of Job in high school and I loved it. Same. Yeah. 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 I think there's a great way to do it if you do it the right way. I just don't have any confidence that the people in this current push are doing it as a good faith argument. That's an interesting choice of words to use. But, you know, as a good faith argument, I don't think they're really doing what they say they're doing. And I don't think they're trying to do it with freedom of religion in mind. I, I think you're right. They're trying to to continue to centralize the heterosexual, white, conservative, evangelical standpoint. Without saying it just like that. They, yeah. If you say if you call your bill that, you're going to get in trouble. But if you call it Freedom America Apple Pie Puppies, you're going to get it passed through Congress. <laughs> That's all it takes. Yeah. Those, those handful of things. <laughs> all right. Well, we want to – is that good matter? Should we move on? Do you have anything else you want to say? I am all out of ideas. Okay, great. Great. (laughs) We want to talk a little bit about uh, sort of back into our old Religion 101 roots where we want to discuss how our faith traditions deal with death. 
uh, and what we do in, in reaction to it and how we bury our loved ones mm-hmm. are all things that Matt and I are essentially experts at, um, seeing how we do it uh, relatively often. I'm intimidated by you're using the word expert. Yeah. <laughs> I feel a little lucky. My congregation being somewhat, I would say, medium-sized in the city, uh-huh. we don't get that many deaths, which is which is great. I'd say um, it's similar for me, yeah. yeah. Um, but still, I have, I have a lot of, I have a lot of, uh, that I've done, so. Yeah, and I'm in the midst of a couple of weeks with uh, more than usual. Mm-hmm. At, just at the moment, it happens to be um, some services were delayed because of COVID. Yeah. Some were from deaths that happened quite recently. We just had one. Two days ago. Yeah, two days ago. It's been that kind of week. It might have been yesterday. No, it was two days ago. Today's Friday, and it was on Wednesday. We're filming, yeah, we're recording this on Friday, y'all. And and it was, I believe, less than a week after the death that we had the funeral. So it was a very fast turnaround. Well, we're going to go into the turnaround. Because that's go a, ahead, please that's do. That's a big deal in Judaism. Teach me, man. Should we? Okay, let's get started. Start okay. okay, so in, in Judaism, uh, when a loved one dies... Uh, it tri- triggers a whole bunch of stuff all at the same time. Okay. Uh, so first of all, there is a thing in Judaism where a, a person's body needs to be in the ground at the latest three days. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Prefer earlier. Twenty-four hours would be great. Okay. But three days is the latest. Already? Yeah. So we, and I, I, I happen to believe this is that our tradition around death is based of. Over thousands of years of practice. Yeah. So this, so, so to me, this is like the best way to mourn mm-hmm. the loss of a loved one and, and prepare for a new normal. Okay. Is what I think Jewish practices around death is all about. All right. Uh, so and so you think that that speed, yeah, is beneficial. Yes. In what way? Uh, it helps the mourners uh, have moments where they can really express themselves early in the mm-hmm. mourning process, and it helps prepare the mourner for the new normal. Of, of the loss of a loved one. And the speed helps them to express it because they don't bottle it up? For- well, because once once the body is in the ground, mm-hmm. a lot of stressors are yeah. out of the way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so that's I think that's really where that comes from. Okay. Uh, and so once you, the sooner you can get to that ritual of, of putting the body in the ground, I think the better it is for more. Are there then other rituals afterwards? Yeah, quite so, a few. Like what? So, okay, so let's so, hold on. So, okay, first of all, we haven't even gotten to that. So you hear someone is um, has passed away. Uh-huh. There's often a, a term, I think it's Baruch uh, Da'an Ha'emet, which is uh, blessed is the is the judge of truth. That's what you say when you hear the death of a, of a person oh, in okay. Judaism. Okay. You know, that's the kind of the first thing you, you, you know, that's the first blessing that I think of whenever someone calls me up and says, "My this person that I love died. You know, that would be your verbal response. Yeah, okay. yeah. Is that just because you're a rabbi, or would any practicing Jewish any, person? Any say practicing it? Jewish okay. can say it. I, it's not. Yeah, as a rabbi, I, mm-hmm. I try to teach it as much as I can. Gotcha. But yeah, any practicing person can say it. But yeah. So uh, so what you got? So here's the thing you got to do. You have to have that loved one's body at the funeral home as fast as possible. Okay. Because the body has to be watched the whole time huh. before it goes into the ground. Is that because Jesus disappeared? Wait, what? <laughs> What's happening? Um, uh, so so the, the watch is called shmira, um, which means kind of guard. Okay. Uh, and so the watching of the body, lots of theories of why we do it. Think about Judaism being so old, we kind of forget why we do the things that we do. Sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and so I think, I think the most practical reason is to keep the rats off the body. 
Not necessarily a needed reason yeah. now, mm-hmm. of course. Absolutely, yeah. and not needed now at all. Uh-huh. Um, you know, the, the facilities that we use are very good. Right. Um, but uh, but I think that was the original reason, uh, and we just kind of kept that. So that means the body needs to be watched all day and all night. So mm-hmm. the first thing you got to do is put together like a smear list of people to take to take turns so near the body. Would that be done at a funeral home or in yeah. a person's at home? At the funeral or? home. Okay. Funeral home. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and, and for our community, we, we count the, the workers of the funeral home as kind of yeah. guarding the body during on hours. Do um, you do you use the same funeral homes that, that we that are in uh, use by Christians and other yeah. faiths? Yeah, it's, we it's use it's the not same funeral home okay. every time. Okay. It's, yeah, um, and uh, they uh, they know our deal. Yeah. Um, so, but then before we can send the body off to, for the funeral, mm-hmm. we have to ritually wash it. It's called tahara. Right. And, and a group called the Hever Kadisha, um, they're the ones that wash the body. And so, if it's, if it's a if it's a man, it's men who wash the body. If the woman if it's the woman mm-hmm. who dies, it's women who wash the body. Yeah. Um, and then and then so they ritually wash the body, and then they put on a white <clears throat> robe called the kittel. Uh, okay. And now, I'm sorry to interrupt, yeah, but I, I yeah. just I have so many questions. Yeah. This is really interesting. Um, the people who do that ritual washing are they volunteers? Is they're, it someone who works? They're volunteers and they're anonymous. The family will not know who they are. Wow. Yeah. It's it's the. Biggest. I want to know why, but I also want to know amongst the people who do that. You, you know, throughout our whole culture, there's such a discomfort with death. Yeah. Are these people who are Trained? Are they specifically prepared for that, or is it loved ones, or do you not even know? So when I run a Chaver Kedusha, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I say no loved ones. I don't think that's. A, I don't. I mean, not, if loved one forces himself on it, I'll say whatever. But I try to yeah. say this is not for the loved ones to do, okay. right? Um, and I, I, I always try to have one or two people who've not done it before with the Chaver Kedusha, so people are always learning yeah. how to do it. So the experience is always there. Uh-huh. Um, it's a lot. If someone who runs one passes away themselves, you've lost a lot of institutional knowledge. Yeah, right, so yeah. I'm always working hard to make sure that we have multiple people in our community that know how to do know how to do the tahara, the washing of the body, okay. and the putting on the kittle. And the kittle itself, the white robe, you you, you have to tie these knots in special ways. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all very symbolic. Okay. And then you put the body in a pine box without any nails in it. Interesting. Why no nails? Uh, boy, I, I should have seen that question coming. Um, at the moment, I, I, I don't remember. <laughs> okay, sure. Uh, but, yeah, yeah. also no no metal on the body. Um, okay. there, the Judaism believes in what, what I call a democracy of death, where no matter how successful you are when you are alive or how unsuccessful you are when you yeah. are alive, everyone dies in the same process in Judaism. I like that. Nothing special, yeah. nothing extra. Everyone's in a white robe. Everyone's in a pine box. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then, so once, so once the person, once, so once the the Hever Kedisha um, uh, performs tahara, once these people uh, wash, virtually wash the body, then they place the body now in a, in a white robe mm-hmm. in the pine box, um, and then the, and then we close the pine box. We just, we don't embalm. We don't have open caskets. That's not a thing in Judaism. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, sometimes we'll bring the pine <clears throat> box to the funeral, uh, but we, it's not going to be open. It's just there. It's just just to look at just to look at the casket. Like a visual representation. Yeah. Of, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's not, but during the time when there is the the watching of the body. Can loved ones come in and have a viewing, like like in, in Christianity we might call that a wake. Yeah, you kind of something like that moment when the Chaim Kadisha puts um, <clears throat> the loved one in the cast the pine casket. Uh-huh. Uh, there is a moment there where a uh, family can come and okay. see. I've never had anyone actually want to do that before. Interesting. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. 
So that that is a potential there for yeah. sure. But there is no like wake like that in that right. in that way. And within Christianity, there's such a diversity of ways to yeah. do it. But a lot of people will have an open casket wake or an open casket funeral, and there are pros and cons. Yeah, you know, it can. It just, it just it's, you even saying that sounds so foreign to me. We just yeah. don't do that. Mm-hmm. Just something that our community does not do. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I think we, we need to, I mean, I want to keep talking now, but I think there's a lot more <clears throat> for future episodes we can talk more about <laughs> because there, there's yeah. so much there. That's, yeah, yeah. So, now, uh, yeah. I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. You go. Well, I was going to keep going because we're yeah. not done yet. Yeah, so, so essentially, so then so then this is where I think you and I have some, some stuff in common, where, like, there is a funeral and there is a burial, and those could be two different things. Yes. Right, so the funeral is usually either at, like, a place of worship or at chapel, mm-hmm. um, a, not at, not necessarily at the gravesite. Yeah. Uh, and then there's there's the burial, which occurs at the gravesite. I will say that during COVID, we tended to blend those, and we would do a I service outdoors I only at the gravesite. Did, yeah. I, I said to everyone, burial only, right. no funeral. Yeah, same. Yeah, yeah. and you can, you can definitely blend it. You but can, in normal yeah. times, you got the two different. Yeah, you got yeah. two different. So, yeah. And so, uh, and so the funeral is really great uh, for sort of like getting the whole community together uh-huh. um, and having the, having a big community experience where we we're, we're honoring the loved one. Do people um, share stories and eulogies? I, um, I'm careful about this. Uh, yeah. So I'll get, I'll offer a eulogy, and uh-huh. I'll probably I'll, I'll say that family, just direct family, can offer eulogies, and that's it. Yeah. Um, the uh, it's really important that these things happen fast. Yeah. In my mind, you can't have overly long ceremonies mm-hmm. here. Uh, it's it's already taxing. I tell each speaker that they're limited to only three minutes. Yeah, exactly. And that way they go five minutes each. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's a very taxing experience for all, for yeah. everyone involved. So uh-huh. if, if it's too long, it's too it's too much. Yeah. Uh, so you gotta keep it quick. So I say so so I say only close family can give can give a, a eulogy if they want to. Okay. Um, and and then I might say and then there's a lot of close family I, that I might divide up between the funeral and then the burial. I might say sure. I might sure, say yeah. okay. Well, we, we ran out of room in the funeral, but at the burial there is a moment for you to give a, a eulogy as well. You know, you might have experienced this too that after the funeral, because we don't always even have the burial the same day. Yeah. It might be you know another. Oh week really? Together. Yeah. Yeah. Because some families want that just to be the small group of family, but they've had people fly in for the funeral. Yeah. And so after the funeral, there's a reception. Yeah. And so you got, you know, you got cookies and, and soda or what have you. Or sometimes it's in the church. Sometimes they've rented out a reception hall across town. And at that point, I say, that's up to you entirely. You do your thing. It's yeah, out of my I'm hands. Getting... And that's when all the people will say, like, oh, when I was in college, he, you know, we yeah. went out and got drunk. Yeah. And... I'm getting there. Okay. Getting there. All right. <laughs> Not there yet. I know, right? We do this in a different order. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> okay. So and then the burial. Now, what's unique about Jewish burial is that uh, – You'll always see a shovel nearby, and, okay. that's, and that's because every Jewish member of the community likes to shovel their own dirt into. Gotcha. And I've actually been to funerals where it it was the, the community did a full a full filling. They filled it up. Oh yeah. wow! Okay. Yeah. Was that because there were so many people, or was it a choice that they wanted to? It was do a that choice. One? Okay. It wasn't a lot of people. We all yeah. took. I got. I was very tired at the end of that one. But uh, wow. But yeah, yeah. So it, it is an option. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that's kind of the unique thing is that we. We really believe in that. It's up to us to put it in the first bits of dirt, mm-hmm. so that so that mm-hmm. this loved one's taken care of from you know from the very from the from the very moment they're buried, they're yeah. just, they're, take, they're being buried by loved ones. Okay. Yeah. Neat. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, and so then after that, there's a process called shiva. I was going to ask about that. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. So shiva means seven. Right. So uh, after the burial, um, you're 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 in sort of like a new state of being called, which is called shiva, uh, and and you're in a state of mourning for seven days. 
Okay. Uh, and so you light, there's something called a shiva candle. It's a seven-day candle mm-hmm. um, that you'll light when you get home from the burial. Uh, okay. And that's, the shiva is sort of like the reception, right? So the at least in reform movement, we, we usually have what I would say like three days of shiva. Okay. Where... Uh, Every afternoon slash evening, the, the community goes to that family's home. They, they provide food, and that's where the conversations occur. That's gotcha. where I like you bring okay. up the stuff and the stories and yep. stuff like that. Um, All right. And so that's... And is that shift from seven to three, is that just for practicality? Yeah, in the reform movement, we've just been, it's more practical, you know, right. okay. and not everyone likes to have people in their homes every day for seven days in Absolutely. a row. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, and so that's just, yeah, uh, but that's sort of, that's where you're in a state of, you're in a special state of mourning for seven days. Does does the Shiva begin? I, I'm trying to, to ask how, how regimented the timeline is, because yeah, you yeah. said the body must regimented. be buried within yeah. three days and yeah. Shiva begins immediately? As soon as the body is buried, Shiva begins. Okay. Yeah. Which is so. interesting, some interesting things, too. Like, you know, we have a Morris Kardash that you say for those loved ones who you've lost. You can see mm-hmm. that in every service, every Jewish worship service, mm-hmm. we offer an opportunity for Morris Kardash, right? Okay. But you don't reset the Morris Kardash for a person who's died who hasn't been buried yet. Okay. Yeah. So so if someone dies on, on a Thursday and gets buried on a Sunday, that Friday for worship services, you wouldn't say a Morris Kardash for that person. Because they're, oh, they're, they're not buried, they're not buried yet. yet. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. So then, so then after Shiva, you're in a period of sloshim, which is a, which means thirty. So you're sort of like in a lighter thirty day mourning period. Okay. It doesn't really mean much. I mean, some people will like they'll cover the glass, the the, the mirrors of their home. Oh stuff, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff uh-huh. like that. There's some interesting tra- Shiva yeah. traditions slash sloshim traditions. I don't really know. I don't even know all of them. There's so many out there. Sure. Um, and uh, and then after thirty days, you kind of you've kind of finished. The mourning process, if you will, you're probably still in mourning. Obviously, I was gonna say, yeah, yeah you're thirty still, days, you're still in grief, barely begun. But, but, but thirty days is sort of like we. This is where you know the community is like we know you're still in your sloshing period. Yeah, you know, so we want to be careful. We want to make sure that we're, we're, you know, we're polite and appropriate to you. Yeah. Um, but after thirty days, uh, we're gonna treat you just normally like any other community member. Um, and you tell us where you're at, essentially. Right. Yeah, and that's and that's the idea behind behind sort of these mourning periods. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. Um, now, one of the main factors for for me when I'm deciding the timeline of, of you know, uh, a funeral and a burial and a memorial service, whatever you call them, up here in Alaska in particular, is when can family get here? Yeah. And do you have allowances for that up here? Well, we, I, I, I mean, like, I try to be as strict as possible on this one. Okay. Uh, and I, okay. I, I say get them here and th- try to get them here in three days. Wow. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like that's that's what, I mean we need to get this body into the ground. Yeah, that's our that's that's the mandate. Okay, yeah, ours is much looser. That's interesting. Of course, Protestant even within Christianity, the Protestants are looser than, for instance, the Roman Catholic Church right, would right. be much more yeah. regimented in this things. Is, there's, there's there's things that are like I'm very loose about. Right, Matt, um, in Judaism, more loose than I would say many of my colleagues. But here, not this when, one. Not this one. Yeah. I okay. feel this is such a valuable and important component to Judaism um, and so needed for those who are mourning. Oh, neat. Good on yeah. you, man. That's, yeah. that's, that's, that's very different than my tradition, but I definitely appreciate it <laughs> a lot. Yeah. Well, why don't you explain your tradition? Um, well, one thing that I note in what you're describing is you can hear echoes of it in the stories in the Gospels of Jesus's burial, you know, you can hear certain elements of the linens being tied tightly around his body. Yep. And then after the resurrection, they go into the tomb after three days to do the ritual washing and they're like, oh, he's gone, but the linens are still sitting there. So, you know, little details like that, that pop up in our Easter story every year that we just read a couple weeks ago. Um, 
I'm like, oh, okay. A lot of your traditions, I'm hearing the echoes of uh, of in that story that uh, we don't always know what's going on in, in the gospel stories. They mention things, and we're like, oh, I didn't realize that was part of a thousands of years of tradition. But in so, for instance, in Christianity today, in my church, I should say, since there's such a multitude of ways to do Christianity, uh, but most churches I'm. I've overlapped with, if someone were to die, the first thing is you just gather with the family and you sit with them, you pray with them, you talk to them. You'll often have members of the church come by with food and, you know, other means of support. But you would start pretty quickly talking about the service mm-hmm. um, for all the same reasons, as you mentioned, you know, this, this moment to try to get that process going and get some closure in there, share some of these stories and remember, but also to say, uh, this life is over, and to make it real, put a punctuation mark on things, and and do so respectfully. But it's not nearly as regimented in terms of time. So even without COVID in the mix, we have had some families say we want to wait a month because that's when we know his kids can get up here from Florida, right? So yeah, we're in Alaska. Yeah. Their kids live in Florida. They can't get here until the school year ends because they got grandkids there, and so we got to wait for a month until. Till we do this. I'm just like, I'm a cringing hearing that. I'm like, oh, a month? Oh, Interesting. like an open yeah. wound. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and I can see, <laughs> I, I totally see that, but I also feel like regardless of what ceremonial efforts I impart, it's still going to be an open wound. Yeah. And yeah. even the, it's weird to say if you've done a good job at a funeral, right? It doesn't, it's not something you grade, but, yeah. but even if we did a perfect job with our rituals and ceremonies and all the things we do, even the best case scenario, they're going to be an open wound for another three or four years, you know? And so, so I, I definitely like the idea of doing it in a timely fashion. We have one coming up this summer from a gentleman who died in January. Whoa. That's so hard. But there are a lot of logistical concerns, and that was when Omicron was really big. And we wanted to make sure we allowed people time to get up here and a lot of other logistical concerns as well. And so that's really hard. I agree. That, That gets into the point where, like, oh, my goodness, that's too long. But at the same time, what it does mean is that his friends and family can be here and they don't have to worry about all these other things. We can mm-hmm. make sure that when this moment happens, it is truly a community event and not just the the nuclear family only or yeah. not just the yeah. few that live in state and not outside, you know. So it's 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 a whole bunch of sliding scales like that. I get, yeah, yeah, I can see that. Um, similarly with the funeral service, you know, there is, I have a template and it's very traditional of the things we go through. And they're the same things that the Protestant church has been doing for hundreds of years, built on things the Catholic church had been doing for thousands of years, which is <laughs> right. built on things Judaism had done for the thousands of years. <laughs> right, that, you know, right, so we're, right, right, yeah. we're the twig on the branch on the, on the trunk. <laughs> yeah. um, but nevertheless, that's the starting point. But I also then say things like, but we want to make it personal to this person and never lose uh, sight of that individual person. And so we had one where too young a man passed away and he was a huge Jurassic Park fan. And so they played the Jurassic Park theme song at the opening of the service. That is amazing. And so a lot of churches would really turn their noses up at that, but it it just feels like it's a part of this kid's heart and it's there. So, um, Aside from that, we don't have a lot of the same regimented rituals that you mentioned. So it's the funeral service and the burial. And after that, a whole lot of individual meetings. I, you know, I check up on people afterwards. We send a, a regular pattern of cards and booklets and things, and we just keep close eye on each other. Yeah. It's, it's, it's less ceremonialized outside of those two services. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. 
So there's a lot of um, some stuff that I can say in the midst of the service that I tend to say at most services because you are saying words of comfort and hope. And they're words of comfort and hope that are drawn from our scriptures and traditions. And so a lot of that is the same from service to service. But I'm also always careful to put in new and unique and different things per service just for that family. Absolutely. And so it's it's a combination of our... Of our history, and yeah, it's, it's and funny too. One. Like, like writing a eulogy for someone is an interesting process because, like, especially when you know the person was somewhat difficult. Yeah, uh, and you, and I, I, I think it's valuable to acknowledge that in the eulogy somehow. Yes, to politely say, yeah, this person. You know, we're going to mostly talk about how great this person was, but we, you know, yep. we, we, we got to say a few things about well, this person was complicated. Yeah, I was yeah. Uh, invited to do a funeral for a woman I did not know down at uh, Evergreen at Jansen Funeral Homes here uh-huh. in town, and. And they were just like, we don't have a clergy person, but would you come, you know, just officiate at this? I said, sure, I'd be happy to. And I would say about a third of the way through, after a few people had spoken and they were kind of hesitating, the one person said, let's be honest, she could be our real pain in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> and you could feel the tension in the room disappear. Yeah, yeah. Everyone was like, finally someone said it out yeah, loud. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. And from that point on, it was a joyful ceremony. Yeah. Before that, yeah. it was not. It was Yeah, it was and it's, it's valuable for us clergy to, to, to offer that moment. Right. Where we say, this person was complicated. This person was difficult sometimes. Had well, I known her, I might have. But, yeah, but I didn't yeah. want to offer that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and and, and you know that's that's the real. I mean, that's yeah. the real thing about that. But those people, and if you're, I think yeah, you should be honest as you can as you, should, as you can be. Yeah. With these individuals who passed away for their family. Yeah, absolutely. And that that another wrinkle that has come up. Uh, I guess every clergy encounters it, but but I've had a couple this past couple of years is suicides, yeah. where it's the kind of thing where people don't know if you're allowed to mention it. Yeah, and so, like you said, it's in some in some instances, it is the clergy's job to give people that permission. Yeah, and I, I usually frame it as a disease, right? You know, right? That makes yeah, it's easier to sort of talk about it. Pretty well, well, and that's a great point too. Not only do we do we give people permission to mention it, but we start by mentioning it, and in doing so, that gives us the opportunity to frame it. Yeah, and to say for the the most recent one I did to begin by saying there is no judgment. On this act, this is like you said, like this is a, a disease, and if someone died of the disease of cancer, we would never say it's their fault or right. they were weak. Right. You know, we would never hide that fact and say don't mention it. And same here, we, you're supposed to talk about it. So that's intimidating sometimes, huh? Oh, it sure is. It yeah. sure. Is. I mean, yeah. I mean, most of the time, the, what I do, I would say, is sad but not tragic, right? But once in a while, you you hit most one. funerals. You mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah uh-huh. most of the yeah. yeah. Um, but so those tragic ones are the are the worst. Yeah, like uh, if if you're doing a funeral for a person who is like over 95 years old, and their f- family and friends are all gathering to, it, to sing, right? I, you're I've like, okay. Some, actually, yeah. I'll be honest. I've had some joyous moments. Absolutely, during yeah. those times. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. and that's wonderful. But then you get a a, a 20 year old kid. You know, yeah. and and those moments too. Yeah, or even a teenager, and then you have these moments within the ceremony where you're not only grieving this individual life, but you're trying to teach children how to grieve. Yeah, you what? This is what this moment is like, and I'm sorry to say you're going to have more of these moments yeah. in your life, but this is your first, and it's an extra hard one, and we're going to walk you through it. You know, and, and this is the point of the podcast where where I want to tell everyone, all listeners, that everyone grieves differently. Yeah, yeah, everyone for sure. grieves differently. Mm-hmm. And it's important not to judge 
yeah. the way another person grieves, unless that's that person's harming themselves or others yeah, yeah. in that grief. But but so I mean, this is a this is a thing that like that really like I've heard before. Where I well, I hear someone say like, well, so and so was married to this person, but they never go to her gravesite, and I'm like, well, that's not the way that person grieves. Right, right. Don't yeah. judge that person for not going to the gravesite. They're uh-huh. grieving in a different way. Yeah. Uh, and so that's so like you know those are the kind of things that I try to normalize too is that like we all grieve differently and mm-hmm. let's respect those grief boundaries. I've had uh, many people like I'm thinking in particular of of the spouse of the deceased. Yeah, I've had many of them when we're meeting to plan the funeral service, they'll start crying and they'll say, "Oh, I'm sorry. I usually hold it together better than this." And I'm like, "This is exactly the moment when you should cry. Yeah, this is the perfect moment to cry." Don't stop crying. Don't stop crying. Yeah. I, like, I, I often I'll even wonder, I'm not going to even give you a tissue. Let the let the tears flow. Don't hide those tears. I see. I do. Yeah. I, I have tissues I, already out. I have them already <laughs> out, too. And I, but I don't say, here's yeah. a tissue. I just, I just right. have it out. I don't say anything. And yeah, I'm like, yeah. you want to let the tears flow? Yep. I'll cry with you. I mean, that's, a, that's what we need to do right now. For sure. Yeah. 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 Have you cried while officiating the funeral? Uh, no. I, you know, I, I haven't yet done. I've gotten, like, close. Where Same. It'll yeah. Pick up. Like, like, ooh, and then people yeah, see it. The words the, catch and yeah, you take a moment. Yeah. yeah I, 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 I have, guess. Yeah. And the thing about this community is that I've been. I mean, I've been part of it for about four years now. Yeah. So my, I. So like you know, the more that I get to know human, the harder it'll be. I know. I yeah. Know. Um, yeah. There are times when you know the person really well, and it's it's a bit heavier. Part of it, I think, is in that moment. You and I are. We're not just grieving. We're grieving within a certain role. Yeah, and that yeah. can take over a little bit and it, get you through it. You it know? does. It does help to play that role a little bit for us, at least. Yeah, and then I find that I'll cry maybe the next day mm-hmm. or two days down the road. Or in one case, I'm thinking of one person in particular. It was here in town when I found out this woman had died. I was going to meet with her that day. Oh, no. And then I delayed. I was like, I can't. I'm going to meet you tomorrow. And then she, and she died in before. And so when I got that phone call, I immediately like, oh, burst into dang. tears, like dang. sobbing. Yeah. And yeah, that was a, that one got me. And it, it, it's self-centered in a way because yeah. I'm like, oh, how this impacts me. And then <laughs> right. when we're up doing the service, it's no longer yeah. about that. It's about how is this impacting everyone else in this room. And that puts a... I don't want to say it puts distance, but it allows me to be thinking about other people's needs more than my own at that point. Obviously, something else when it comes to grief is that we often have what I would call like a lizard brain with it. So, like, for example, if someone's, like, kind of, like, yelling, like, I want, you know, yeah. I, I don't say, uh, be quiet. I don't say anything. Yeah. I let them yell. Because the reality is that, like, I think what's going on is they, they, they're hoping if they yell loud enough, their loved one will come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you let them express that experience of yelling and to show them that this is a new normal, Uh you know, I think that's that's one of the best ways you can slowly start to heal. And it's also them kind of saying, like, am I alone in this? Am I the only one that feels like he's losing his freaking mind in the midst of all this? And for you to sit and let them yell and listen lets them know they're not alone. You know, they're reaching out into the void and then. And you've met them there. So. Yeah, yeah. So I, I try, I try to like show people that like you can do like I don't say calm down or, or I don't right. say you need to be quiet yeah. or I don't say you're being inappropriate. That's the worst thing you can do. Mm-hmm. I feel like what I, what I do, what I do say is I, I was like, okay, like you know, how do you feel now? Now that it happened, do you? I mean, like, yeah. tell me your thoughts. Yeah. Um, and I believe that like you know, you need like a thousand moments to heal. You know, you need thousands yeah. and thousands of moments to yeah. heal. And, and for me, healing is just is the idea of, of living to learn in a new normal. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's, and that's so hard. Yeah. And, and again, that, getting back to the regimented timeline, I always tell families, you know, your good 
you're feeling good right now because you have this expressive service and your yeah. family's around, they're all going to leave town again. They're yeah. going to go back to their homes in the lower 48 or they're going to get back into their daily routine of work and all this other stuff. And the casseroles are going to run out and the cookies are going to be out. gone. Yeah. Yeah. And you're going to find yourself at home by yourself and you're going to say, what the beep? <laughs> what was all that? What do I do now? And at that point, remember, we're still here. Yeah. And that's when Your you're going to... faith gonna, community is here. And yeah. this is why you should be part of a faith community. Right. We treat you right. Mm-hmm. When you pass away, <laughs> we'll treat you right. If you mm-hmm. survive a loved one who passes away, we'll treat you right. Yeah. I've heard so many Christians and other people who say, like, I'm, I'm spiritual but not religious. Yeah. And I understand. You know, they, yeah. they give the usual. There's a, a real common litany of reasons why they say that. But those same people show up at my door when they need a funeral. Yeah. And I don't say it to them then, but, but, but thinking back to those other conversations, I think you knew where to look. Yeah. Because yeah. we had this institution. You saw the building and the sign, and you knew people gathered here, and you knew that I would be here for you in this moment. And in that way, I'm really happy that I'm religious also. Yeah. Because it allowed me to help you. Right. And that's, you know, and, and you and I, this is what I say that we're experts on, right? Yeah, like, yeah. We, like, we, like, we know how to react to these difficult times. Like, we know what to do. Right. Because as you said before, we're drawing on thousands of years worth of experience. <laughs> right. We certainly are. <laughs> and it was handed um, to us by and, others. And, and yeah. you and I are drawing on personal experiences as well, you know. Sure, you know, yeah. I, our, our job uh, to be, as clergy is to be confident. When a loved one dies, on what to do next? Yeah, like that's what we do. We say we say to to, these, to the loved ones who survive them, like here's the next steps. This is the process. I just said We're to a here young you. kid, a young kid who just lost his mom, mm. and he was full on sobbing on yeah. my shoulder. Yeah, and I said, I don't have any words that are going to take this pain away, but I will tell you that I cried like this when my dad died, and it got better. Yeah. And even though you're in this horrible spot right now, and it is honestly just as bad as you think it is, but you're going to get through it. And there's a way out, and I'll walk you through this. Yeah. So it's you're part you're, of a community. You've got a support system. Exactly. And I yeah. was able to show him look at this room full of people. They're yeah. all here with you, too. That's the first thing I look for like when a loved one dies. I'm like, where's your support system? Yeah. Uh-huh. Who, who do you have to lean on? Let's yeah. find those people right now. Let's get them talking to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's one of my first questions. Well, I think we're probably button up on time here. We are, yeah. <laughs> but I will say one last little coda on that. I hold it together in the service. I often, on the way home, blast my music way at 100% <laughs> full volume, and I play Stevie Ray Vaughan's cover of the song Little Wing. Oh, really? Yep. That's what you do. That's, that's, that's your... Yep, and I, if it's warm enough, I have all the windows open, music at full volume, playing that song. I'll often put it on repeat, and we'll get three or four plays through before I get home. That's your process. That's huh? my process, yeah. I'm not sure I have a process. Do you, do you have a post-game ritual? A post-game ritual? I, I don't think I do. Not the way. Maybe I should yeah. get one. Well, to each their own. I don't yeah, know. It, yeah. it helps me. I don't know if it's if it's <laughs> worthwhile for anyone else. Uh, I've heard a couple other clergy have similar things. Not you know, not always music, not always driving, but that I find that that helps so that when I get home, I don't put all this weight on my family. Yeah, I'm lucky because so I'm married to a clergy person, so sure. she gets it, and my yeah. kids are just naturally empathetic, so they understand. But I don't want to come home all the time morose, so I want to sure. get home, be able to give them my true self, you know, and so that that helps kind of clean out the system a bit. And, <laughs> that's, that's some great advice. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and it feels respectful because it's a beautiful song and sure. it's a celebratory but also sad, and so it kind of I feel it's a respectful way to to say goodbye to the moment. Right, yeah. right. Well, okay. There you go. That concludes our episode. Yeah. If you made it this far, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. 
Uh, also, a big thank you uh, to the Mutual Brothers uh, for the sound design and for James Brown for the logo. Uh, and you can see us in person. You see me in person now uh, every uh, every Friday at 6 p.m. at our at Congress Special Loan. We have services in person now. So. Yahoo! Yeah, that's yeah, a yeah. that's a joyful thing. We are also in person again at First Presbyterian Church here in Anchorage, and you can find us online. It's also broadcast live on Facebook and on YouTube, and you can watch the back episodes at uh, both those places too. <laughs> episodes, I think <mean>, services. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing for us. But anyways, thank you for coming this far, and thank you for listening. Take care. Bye. <laughs>